So as we've mentioned, we're going to continue today with this, um, this sermon series on calling, lessons from the life of David. And um, when you think about the things we focused on recently in our worship service and the events of the world, you probably wonder, you know, is there any chance to put all these puzzle pieces together in the world? Is there any chance... Uh, for the world to be redeemed? Is there any chance for change? How would that all work? I can't imagine. Everybody who's a leader seems to be confused as to exactly what to do, which there is no simple answer. But I think in today's lesson, we'll see that God ultimately has plans and could put pieces together that we would never imagine could go together. He has a direction and a plan for the world and for our lives, and it's illustrated in this um, story of the life of David. Now, to catch some of you up who weren't here last week um, or haven't been here uh, for a while and don't know much about the story of the life of David, the people of Israel had demanded to have a king. God wasn't real hot on the idea about having a king, but the people demanded it. They wanted a king. They insisted on it, and God gave them what they wanted. Um, and maybe it falls into the lines, be careful what you ask for, you might get it, because this is what happens a little bit later with kings. God chose Saul to be the first king of Israel. And it's important for us to remember that 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 was God's choice. God chose Saul. And Saul had many of the qualifications that you would think were needed for for a king. He was a good leader. He was charismatic. Um, He had a lot of followers. Uh, People encouraged Saul along the way. Um, And and they always tell us that both Saul and David were tall, dark, and handsome. Which I guess is like make Saul the king from central casting, right? He, He fit the bill for everything you needed as a king. And he did really well for a while. And that may have been his downfall. He did really well for a while. And then he kind of forgot about why he was doing so well. He forgot about who had put him in place. He forgot about who had given him the gifts and talents and abilities to do as well as he was doing. He forgot that it was God who gave him this opportunity. And he began to think that, well, it's about me. It's about my gifts, my talents, my abilities. And he went his own way and did his own thing. And before we're too harsh on Saul, I think it's important for us to admit that that happens all the time to us. I mean, when we think about how we relate to God and how we relate to God's people and what happens in the world, when things are going pretty well, we tend to ignore God. Things are going great. My ability, my talent, my effort, that's what's gotten me this far. When things don't go so well, we tend to drop to our knees. Old Testament characters from thousands of years ago aren't that different than you and I. We're pretty much the same as them. God then fired Saul as king, which God could do. He anointed him as king. He fired him as king. The important thing in this story is that God had not yet told Saul that he was fired as king. He went and found an obscure family, Jesse's family, and Samuel... The prophet that God sent interviewed all of the males in Jesse's family, all of the boys. And all of those boys, all seven of them, before he ever met David, were more qualified than David to be king. They fit the part perfectly. In fact, they were probably carbon copies of Saul. And God rejected all of them. Samuel was told by God to anoint David as king. And David was the oddest choice anybody could have made. I mean, David was an afterthought, even by his own father. He was out being a shepherd. 
He was taking care of the sheep. They'd kind of forgotten about him. He was so much younger than his other brothers. And this story begins to unfold the way a great movie or a great novel unfolds. Because now you have two characters with things going on in their lives that you know are somehow related. But you can't imagine in your lifetime how they would ever intersect with one another. On the one hand, you have this teenage shepherd, David, who's anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. On the other hand, you have Saul, who knows nothing about it. He has no clue he's been fired yet. How is this going to work out? David, you know, is anointed to be king. And what we would do, right, we, the first thing we'd do with David is send him to King's College, how to become a king. Take some classes. Give him some military training. Uh, give him some opportunities for political leadership. Put him in a school. Do all of those things. But as Greg reminded us last week when he told us the story of David's anointing, David came, met Samuel, was anointed as the next king of Israel, and was sent back, sent back out to be a shepherd in solitude, all by himself, in obscurity, to be forgotten by everybody all over again, and with monotony, day after day after day of watching the sheep and making sure they were okay and fed and fighting off animals once in a while. But it wasn't very exciting being a shepherd. On the other hand, Saul was still king, enjoying all the benefits of being king, doing all of his kingly duties, not knowing that his kingship was being threatened. He had no clue. How would this ever happen? How would this come together? Well, while David was doing his thing as a shepherd, there were new developments in the house of Saul. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, begins with these words. The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. When Saul became king, God's spirit came upon him, but Saul had turned his back on God. He'd ignored God, and God doesn't like being ignored. The departing of God's spirit left a void in Saul's heart. And whenever there's a void in our heart, whenever God is not filling our heart, guess what? Somebody or something is going to fill that void. You know, periodically we have empty rooms at church. Somebody's office is vacated, a closet isn't being used anymore. Within weeks, everybody's got their junk in there. That's exactly what happens in our life. If there's a void in your life or in your heart, something's going to fill it. And usually it's junk. So there's this disturbing phrase, I know, in this verse. An evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And it's troubling unless we really understand what's being communicated here. First and foremost, most clearly, God is never the author of evil in any way, shape, or form. So we have to get that out of our mind, even though it seems like that's what's being said. God didn't command an evil spirit to take up residence in Saul. It's an Old Testament way of saying that God didn't prevent evil from entering into Saul's heart and mind. As long as he wasn't going to have anything to do with God, then God didn't stand guard over his heart and say, oh no, no evil can come in. I mean, go back to Genesis. This is the way God functions. God created Adam and Eve, put him in a perfect place, gave him everything they needed. He did not put guards at the gate and say, Satan, now you can't go in and tempt them. He allows it to happen. God did not prevent that temptation from taking place. Adam and Eve were responsible for biting on the, on the temptation? No pun intended, biting apple. Okay. And this is what happens in the world. God is never the author of evil or illness or disease or sickness or suffering. 
But for whatever reason, he sometimes chooses not to intervene or not to prevent it from happening. And so people get cancer, people have disease, people have tragic accidents, difficult things happen. It's part of the world in which we live. I don't know. I don't know why God doesn't prevent some things from happening. I don't know why some treatments work for cancer and others do not. I don't know. But God is never the author of evil. And so an evil spirit entered into the life of Saul, and Saul entertained that spirit. And David was out shepherding in solitude, where the only person he was communing with was God. He was going to be king, but unlike you know, the heirs to the English throne that we know, you know, Philip or Harry, whatever it might be. I mean, they've had training. They've grown up in the palace. They had to go to school. They know all of the etiquette. They know how to dress. They know how to behave. While it's questionable about whether Harry knows how to behave, but Philip knows how to behave. They learn all those things. David didn't have any of those benefits. He was out being a shepherd. How is he going to be king? How would this ever take place? After it happens, you go out by yourself and you're a shepherd all alone. And all these questions have to be going through your mind, right? He, he said I was going to be king. How in the world is that ever going to happen if I'm out here with all these sheep all by myself? My own brothers won't even acknowledge me. How am I ever going to get to be king? And, and if I get to be king, what am I going to do? I don't know how to be a king. Well, God has plans for all of us. Now, Jeremiah tells us that I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has plans for all of us. But we don't know what all those plans are. They're unfolding all of the time in God's timing, when they're supposed to happen. God's in charge of all of that. But he's got plans, just like he had plans for David and just like he had plans for Saul. Which is why it requires faith. We don't always know what the plan is, but we trust that God has a good plan plans to prosper us and not harm us, plans to give us hope in the future. And Saul was suffering. Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. The evil spirit was manifesting itself in a serious bouts of depression for Saul. His moods would rise and fall. His behavior was unpredictable. He'd lash out in anger. He was hard to be around. He was inconsistent. He didn't have any of the good qualities that a leader had anymore because you never knew really what to expect from him. When the depression would kick in, no one wanted to be around Saul. And it was like a dark cloud had overcome the entire kingdom. And Saul's employees were very concerned. Let our Lord command his servants here to, to search for someone who can play the liar. You will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and then you'll feel better. Saul said to his attendants, go and find somebody who plays well and bring him to me. Saul was suffering from a severe case of depression, which was impacting his ability to do his kingly duties. Now today we have innumerable drugs that people can take to combat depression. Today we treat symptoms with chemicals 
And it happens all the time. I mean, there's an enormous amount of number of people who celebrate, who, who suffer from all kinds of modes of depression. I mean, I, let a, I, I was coaching a pastor's group in Traverse City, um, and we had six different pastors plus myself in this group. There were seven of us in total. And at one time, I'm sitting in the room, and four of them were saying, we're, we're all on antidepressants. I'm going, well, that's what happens when you live in northern Michigan, and there's only two days of summer, but it happens. Some depression is situational, some depression is circumstantial, some depression is clinical. It's treated in many different ways, but in Saul's day, it was treated with music. And we know that music can soothe your soul. We've heard that from people other than Bob Seger. We know that Music is something that speaks to our heart in a way that other things cannot speak to our heart and mind. Music can motivate us. Music can express that which resides deep within us. We can't give voice to it ourselves, but thank goodness God gives somebody the ability to write lyrics and then to write music that goes with it, that somehow touches our soul and changes the way we see life and the way we face things. So we use music to motivate us. Music to express what resides deep within us. Music that transports us to a different place. A place of peace and joy and comfort. Even for the non-musicians among us, music is important and plays a key role in our lives. Can you imagine worshiping without music? And even this morning, right, as we read words and prayers of lament, the music reached deep within us and gave us a soul massage. God's spirit was among us. And it kind of soothes the soul. For some people, it's classical music. For some people, it's rock. For some people, it's hip-hop. It soothes their soul. I don't get it, but it does. For some people, it's country-western music, which some people say is an oxymoron, country-western music. It doesn't make a difference what the genre is. is God uses us in our circumstances and music touches our soul, and so it was with Saul. Find somebody! Find somebody! Who can sit in my courts and change my moods? And one of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre, and he's a brave man, he's a warrior, he speaks well, he's a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. I mean, who else can do this, right? An obscure youngest son of an unknown family who was serving as a shepherd for his parents, thinking that only, only his family knew who he was, and sometimes they forgot where he was. And the king, the most powerful man in Israel, the king, who could bring them together in this way? Except for God, someone somehow had heard about David and his talents and abilities. I mean, what are the chances of that? I mean, they didn't have LinkedIn. You couldn't connect with each other on Facebook. He didn't have a resume that he submitted. Somehow, someone in Saul's court knew about David, who was a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere in Bethlehem. How does that happen? And what a resume, right? Brave. Courageous, a warrior, a great musician, 
And apparently, one of the more important characteristics of a king of Israel, tall, dark, and handsome. That, that just needed to be that way. And we thought that being a shepherd was no way to prepare for being the king. The most important skill that David had that was useful to Saul at the time was that he played a lyre. You know, it looks like a harp, rather ornate. May not have been the one. This might be a special king court lyre that he didn't use out as a shepherd, but you know, it's pretty fancy. It's a harp-like instrument, a stringed instrument. Only God could orchestrate events in such a way that the current king would need a musician, and that musician would be the future king. And Saul had no clue that his successor was now his court musician. David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul liked him very much. And David then became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. And whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul... David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Only God could orchestrate that kind of plan. This was David's training program. He was a great musician. He had spent time alone with God. He had done a monotonous job over and over again, and now he was ready for something different. And God orchestrated events in such a way that David was brought to the king's palace, and now he would watch and observe the person who really was the king and learn by observing. And now he would sit on a military strategy meetings, and then he would like to also learn other things about politics and how to be a king. He learned at the feet of the king who was serving at the time. And who else could get an unknown shepherd in that kind of a job but God? So when I served for 10 years at Christ Church of Oak Brook, one of my responsibilities um, was to lead a young couples group. And we met once a month, and we'd have dinner together. We'd bring in speakers, and we'd be motivated to go and do these things. And, you know, some of those people who were in that group are still our best friends today, very meaningful for Becky and I. But um, a member of that church who was a founding member of the church was Jim Beret, who was the CEO at Borg Warner at the time. Uh, an internationally famous businessman. He was on a president's advisory uh, team, and uh, he, he was very well respected. I mean, if you could get a time with Jim Beret, just a little bit of mentoring with Jim Beret, you thought that this was really the deal for you, especially if you were a corporate person or trying to start a business. So we tried to get Jim to be a speaker on one of our Friday night meetings, and we tried for several years that his schedule was so full and busy he didn't have time for it. The only thing that he did other than be the CEO of Borg Warner, which was a huge job, was spend time with Young Life Ministry and Christ Church of Oakbrook. That, that's what he did. Now, it didn't hurt that three of his children were in our group at the time, and so that, we had a little bit of influence. <laughs> Finally, we got his schedule to work with when we were going to have one of these meetings, and he was going to speak on a Friday night. And not surprisingly, it was the biggest crowd we ever had at any one of those events. Everybody was showing out. They were lined up outside to get inside because they wanted to listen to Jim Beret. <clears throat> is Jim Beret was going to give them the golden nuggets they needed to have a meteoric career and be a success in the business world. And so we ate, and then Jim began to talk, and one of the things he said is, I understand that one of the big concerns that you have as rising professionals is how can you get ahead in the corporate world? What are the things you need to do to get ahead? And so I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do to get ahead. And you could almost everybody lean forward. They got their pens out. They were ready. I'm going to write this down now, man. Jim's going to give me the silver bullet. I am going to get the ticket to the top. 
Jim said. The best way to climb the corporate ladder is to do the best job you can in the job that you have. And to not let anybody know that you're trying to climb the corporate ladder. You know, he said, CEOs have a nose that can sniff out people who are simply trying to climb the corporate ladder to advance in their career, and that's all they really want to do. They're much more concerned about themselves and the business or what they're doing. Jim says, what you really need to do, do the best job you can at the job you have. And God will take you to the top. Or God will really take you wherever you need to be. Maybe you're not meant to be at the top. Do the best job you can at the job you have. David was doing the best job he could as a shepherd. David did the best job he could as a musician. David was doing the best job he could in the job that he had at the time. And God used him and put him in a place where he could become king. I mean, God has something prepared for all of us. And we may not think that, that what we're doing contributes much to the kingdom or provides value or that God could use us in any way, shape, or form. We may be looking down the road, plotting a strategy to get ahead. How am I going to get to where I want to be? Here's my goal. How am I going to do it? What are the steps I have to take? And God says, just do the best job that you can with the job that you have. The best sign that all of us are doing what God wants us to do is that we're doing what we're doing right now. That God has us doing what he wants us to do right now. Because if God didn't want us to be doing what we're doing right now, God would move us out of what we're doing right now. We're the ones who are restless. We're the ones who are discontent. So whatever you're doing right now, whatever job you're in, or if you're in an internship, or if you're in schooling, or if you're in training... If you're working in a field that doesn't seem to be related in any way, shape, or form to what you think God has planned for you in the future, we need to do the best job we can with the job that we have. And God can use anything to get us where he wants us to be. Now, the people who attend here regularly know that I had absolutely no plan to go into ministry. I mean, my double major in college was political science and kinesiology. That is a ticket to ministry right there. And then I got an education degree. I have not met very many pre-SEM programs that have those qualifications. You know, major in political science and kinesiology, get an education degree, and you can become a pastor. But through circumstances I could never imagine, and people that God put in my life and the way that God worked, I became a teacher and a coach. I'm teaching every Sunday. And I'm coaching a team of people that I love and work with every day. It wasn't exactly what I had in mind. But God used all of that to prepare the groundwork to have me where I am today. David was a musician. He was well-spoken. He was brave. He was a warrior. He was handsome. They're all great qualities to be king. But the best qualification that David had, the best qualification that made David king was this one. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. And it wasn't just an internal thing. It was an observable thing. Because someone in Saul's court had met David. And he understood right away that David had the Lord with him. So how else do you know that 
if you're simply a casual observer unless somehow it's overt. It's evident. It's all the difference it makes. You see, God can use and does use the most unlikely people in the oddest circumstances to lead us to where he eventually wants us to be. There was no more unlikely candidate to be the Messiah of Israel than this person known as Jesus of Nazareth. The preparation for the career of Messiah, apparently, is to be born out of wedlock to a mom out of town in a barn where no one knows that you're even there. And then to spend the next 30 years of your career preparing to be a Messiah as a carpenter in Nazareth. That is a ticket to the top right there. Which is why Jesus had such a hard time with the religious establishment and religious leaders because he didn't take that normal path. But God had a preparation for him that no one else could imagine. And when Jesus told, chose his apostles, the ones who would be closest to him that would carry on his ministry, he didn't go, oh man, who are the best religious leaders I know? Who are the people who are leading the people of Israel right exactly where they need to be? He said, no, you know what, Mike, I'm going to take fishermen. Oh, and you know what? I'm going to add one tax collector because they're the most hated people who can't be trusted by anyone. I'm going to take one of those and make one, one of my disciples too. And they'll be the leaders of the church. And then when he wanted the church to grow like it never had grown before, he took this guy named Saul, who every person who was a believer in Jesus feared because Saul was out trying to kill Christians and eliminate them. He took that person And you saw who became Paul as the greatest evangelist and church planner that the world has ever known. You see, God can use anything that we're doing to prepare us for where he wants us to go. David had no idea, but God knew. God has called all of us to be his shining light and source of living water. And he has prepared and continues to prepare us for that task. And he'll put us in the places that we need to be to live out that calling. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for who you are. We confess that it is difficult for us to live out lives of faith where we simply trust you with everything in our heart and mind and soul, and where we trust you with and for our future. So, O oh Lord, make us people of faith who know you and trust you with everything. Help us to use our gifts and talents and abilities to do the best job we can, not for ourselves or for our employer or for our teachers or for our professors or our coaches, but to do the best job we can for you and the job that we have. And in so doing, let you use us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to uh, respond to God's word and God's gift to us through our tithes and our offerings this morning. Uh
we can participate in the offering in many ways. We've been talking a little bit about how you can do that electronically. Also, uh, just through the methodology of our passing of the plates. Uh, encourage those of you who are either watching my live stream this morning to also participate by expressing our gratitude to God. And may we be as generous with our gift to him as he's been with his gifts to us. Let us continue to worship God together. <laughs>